I'm April. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. Um, this is a very special episode. Special mini-sode. 35.5 technically, but... Half a sode. Who knows at this point. Um, we thought that we would, re- would record a little bit of a kind of follow-up episode to our previous one, basically because we attended the London Film Festival over the weekend, and there are a couple of things specifically that we wanted to talk about, as well as our experiences at the festival as a whole, and rather than give you a full five-hour podcast detailing every nuance of um, everything that happened at the weekend, we figured mini-sode. Mini-sode. And by, and by mini-sode, we basically mean just an episode full-length episode for someone else this is our uh, lff debrief lff debrief oh i like that yes this is our debrief session we can we can air all our grievances <laughs> great do we, do we have any grievances towards the hotel specifically oh yeah noisy hotel that? that was great wasn't it so just off the bat it's the 63rd bfi london film festival this year it runs for 12 days from the 2nd to the 13th of october and it aims to celebrate the diverse landscape of international cinema work from 78 countries showed this year in the festival um and also and across the whole just under two weeks there are 28 world premieres 12 international premieres and 28 european premieres wow yep this year 40 percent of all films directed or co-directed were by women and we're almost reflecting the gender balance in the world <laughs> if only other festivals were as um i don't know a bit aware of it yeah of the 229 feature films which are screened during the festival that includes 41 documentaries seven animations 13 archive restorations and seven artist moving images features as well as 116 short films wow. you can tell i didn't write this wow i'm really improved like impressed by your wikipedia we- research <laughs> i think you'll find your actually, wikipedia research i actually got that from the uh, bfi website oh so. sorry sorry yes i well i should have known that from the mission statement at the beginning uh yeah love a mission statement um, the only reason i got it from the bfi website is because it wasn't on wikipedia yet was it not because it is technically still happening so it's the 9th of october now as a recording and there are still four five more days left okay so they've got a They'll wait till the end. We'll see what happens. Wait till the end. So the festival itself partners with a host of London cinemas with films playing on about 18 screens at 12 venues across the capital, including those in and around Leicester Square, which is where we were primarily based this year. It's a busy... Well... To be fair, it's always busy in Leicester Square, isn't it? But if you take all the tourism and then lump on LFF as well, it's just a bit mental. It's crazy, isn't it? It's it is. always a it's bit a lot. It's a bit of pandemonium. But it's a great great experience and it's something that we've been doing for a few years now. Yeah. I think this is maybe my third, fourth. I think this is my fourth. So I don't think it must all... be my fifth, I yeah. think. So my fifth year going to at least one screening. And it's just it's a nice excuse to go and see things that aren't yet out in the UK, that might not get a major cinema release, um, that might not not turn up on streaming sites and just to kind of experience I don't know a bit more of a festival environment yeah definitely and I think last year we had such a good time at the galas in particular Mm. that was like an added bonus yeah we tried to be a bit selective again this year and also tried out for some galas too yeah last year's galas um, so we saw uh, the gala screening of beautiful boy and we also went to the gala of Suspiria Suspiria, and that was our first experience of the galas specifically previous Mm. to that we'd been to just general screening at cinemas but those uh, galas were just slightly different and we have got an episode about that specifically which we will link to in the show notes um, just for comparison and on the socials as well but yeah I mean we had a really nice time last year so we it, did and it kind of set the bar pretty high yeah it well yeah it definitely did because I don't think we expected like to have the experience that we did last year which was really no. nice and really rewarding so um, I'm glad we did it again and we made a weekender of it yeah we did didn't we so we went down on Saturday mm-hmm. and we were seeing one film in the evening on Saturday night and then we were seeing something around lunchtime on Sunday as well so it made sense to kind of make a whole weekend of it certainly did yeah and we got in a bit of celeb spotting on the saturday as well we had a bit of time to kill and it was kind of either go down because the screening was quite late as you said on saturday evening and it was a gala screening so it was like we either go down quite late in the day or we go down a bit earlier and maybe kick about and see what's going on and coincidentally there was the deadline contenders event at hamyard hotel on the Saturday during the day. So this is when uh, the BAFTA and the AMPAS and Guild voters are invited to meet the filmmakers and cast behind 19 of this year's hottest movies. So they basically had these sort of short panel events on films, including The King and Marriage Story, Little Women, Avengers Endgame, Lighthouse, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, all these big, big films. And there were a lot of people confirmed who were going to talk 
on these panels for sort of a quick 15 20 minutes so we thought we'd swing by because it was only it was literally around the corner wasn't it from where we needed to be and super close and the weather wasn't too shit so we were like well we'll just go see you know how busy it is whether it's rammed whether there's absolutely nothing happening there whatsoever i wouldn't say we're like we're not very experienced like uh, celeb spotters this isn't something we do very regularly. So it was a bit of a new thing for us. Because it was only around the corner from Leicester mm. Square, we figured we'd go down and see what was happening, just purely out of intrigue, I think. And like you say, this is not something that we ever particularly engage with. It's something that like a lot of fans do. So if there are events happening at hotels or you know radio stations or anything like that, there's obviously the fandom itself has yeah. a real tendency to wait outside there just because they know that obviously those People, people are going to be in there yeah. coming and going and it's a good opportunity to kind of potentially meet them or say hi yeah. or something like that and, and for us it was purely like oh it's around the corner so shall we just go and scope it out and if we get there yeah. and, it, and it's like completely inaccessible then we'll leave or if it's there's nothing going on or if yeah it was a good kind of scope out because i think we've i mean we've discussed amongst ourselves before and we probably have discussed in a podcast before like that whole aspect of particularly you know with the galas at lff for particular galas you get fans queuing from you know 7am like Mm. early in the morning to get wristbands to make sure they can go on the red carpet and that's something that's not like for me and you a particularly feasible geographically and everything else and also you do just get to a point in life where like that's just not as easy to fit into your lifestyle like I've said to you before like I wish I did even more of that when I was a kid because now I'm in my 30s and it's not really something that a I want to put myself through or b have the time to do like stand around for like 15 hours so this was almost like a miniature like let's go scope it out see if we see anyone cool yeah completely and i think like it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of geographic aspect of it because for us it really was taking advantage of the fact that we were in london while this pretty big thing was happening mm-hmm. um you know we go to london fairly regularly but we're not necessarily there without anything really to do for an no i wouldn't just go to hang around for no apparent reason no and also i think that it's definitely not anything i've really spent a lot of time doing when i was a teenager um you know occasionally i'll get to gigs way before doors to sit mm-hmm. outside but that was more just so i could get on the barrier at the yeah, front yeah, it yeah. wasn't necessarily so i could and it's interesting actually we've both read hannah Ewens's fangirls yeah. which i think we've mentioned in a previous episode and that obviously talks a lot about fan culture and, mm. and in particular the way that groups of fans will wait outside, you know, venues, buildings, whatever. And I found it really interesting because I do feel like it was something that I just completely didn't do as much as I wish I had when I was younger I when I had the time. More because of the internet now, it's just, I think it has grown like that phase you go through especially when you're younger and you've got a bit more free time to like yeah you know be able to find out where celebs are and spend time waiting for them or go to yeah crazy early to shows or blah 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 like it you know with the internet that's made it a lot easier to track people um and it's yeah it's something that we like are aware of but it was really interesting to see that fan dynamic at work like we were for a short time immersed with like some people who do this sort of thing really regularly it was really interesting to talk to them and like just see the the amount of knowledge that they had was so interesting i really enjoyed the dynamics between all of the different groups of people that were there and it was really hard to not be there and kind of treat it as a bit of an anthropological kind of you know yeah yeah field trip really because because I we felt did. like we stuck out like a sore thumb. Oh, 100%. It was like you could set. It was like you could smell that we were not people that regularly did this. No, we were the absolute. <laughs> it wasn't newbies. just for like. Firstly, I think because most of the the fans who were grouped there who do this regularly recognise each other anyway. Yeah. Um, but then there were this other whole group of people who are literally there to collect autographs and flog shit on eBay. Yeah. And they do that on the regs, and they all know each other as well. Yeah. But the amount of knowledge that they all have between them, those two very separate groups who are war with one another like so obviously at war with one another it was just it was really really interesting it was um, very very interesting to observe the kind of not conflict between them but they they're groups of like who i would call real true fans yeah. do absolutely not if like you're the gonna autograph s- dealers yeah, at yeah, all yeah yeah if you're gonna stand out there for hours and hours on end you know you're big fans you are and yeah those autograph dealers are like ruthless man and they've got like a real snobbery to them so weird, that is it? just so odd because they're literally out there stealing photographs from celebrities they don't care about in order to make some money and then they're really scathing towards the fans who are waiting outside and like quite like 
patronizing towards that made me really angry that was really like what are you doing you're literally you're here to make a quick buck like you're worse off than anyone else here yeah it made me really really angry to observe that actually because a lot of the people that were waiting outside of the hotel and there weren't many people no it was really small wasn't it was probably like 30 people there the majority of them were girls it must be said and the majority of them probably were quite young so definitely under definitely under 30 definitely under 25 they're all quite young women and the autograph dealers in particular were much older predominantly male and it was just that age-old conflict between like men getting quite sniffy about the fact that there are groups of young girls who are really enthusiastic about something and this is something we've mentioned on and they would just like go away or like up in our business and it's like you're you know if anything you're freeloading off their time like you're freeloading off their passion and interest don't you're not doing it the other way around and that dismissal of their passion actually is something that we've kind of touched upon before on the podcast haven't we and it made me feel quite bad at times actually because the autograph dealers were very very aggressive when sort of the celebrities they'd always get there first they'd come out of the hotels and then that sours the experience for that particular person and then they're not actually engaging with the fans and you saw that happen a couple of times there was Taron Egerton in particular when he I think it was either when he arrived or when he Mm. left they were the autograph dealers were quite aggressive with him trying to get him to sign stuff and you could see that he was getting quite stressed out by it and I remember when we got home that night I went on Twitter and I was just kind of reading up on some stuff and there were quite a few like hardcore Taron Egerton fans that were really angry because then they also did. didn't get to meet him no, exactly. and that's the, the first two rows of people would just be really aggressive people trying to get shit signed in order to get like flog it on ebay or whatever and it was just it's weird isn't it but we did on the plus side in the very small window of time that we were there we got to see some people didn't we, did, we? Yeah. so we did see taron egerton we a did. couple of times quite muscular very muscular nice white t-shirt it's so very bright, wasn't it? yeah it was, it was very bright yeah he was got quite a prominent reaction it's really funny because i've got no concept of how big taron egerton is this is also yeah and this is why it's interesting as well because we a had different motivations from like the autograph pushers there and were a slightly different generation to a lot of the young fans there it was just really funny like who we reacted to and who they reacted Mm. to and there was overall this big like swelling when Taron Egerton came out and it was just me and you standing there like it's fine it's but just that was, not for us that was this weird. moment is not for us but that was weird for me anyway though because I wouldn't necessarily have thought that like Taron Egerton playing Elton John Rocket, Rocket Man has been so big hasn't it like there was one particular person in, in the crowd that we ended up talking to at one point yeah. they were like really big into Taron and then Jamie Bell was there as well and oh yeah and, of course like, Jamie and, Bell was and, there and too and Dexter Fletcher who directed Rocket yeah. Man they were like in awe and I just was stood there thinking like this is so so lost on us as well it was like oh there's Jamie Bell I saw Rocket Man I enjoyed it it was a fun time but I can't like it's just it was just so interesting yeah you know you could just sit back for those ones as well and just watch it it was like this isn't my moment you guys get to do your thing and like it was really funny did see Laura Dern though which is very exciting your face and my face when we saw Laura Dern oh my god so there was a really good bit where we were standing right by a door and we had like a direct view into the hotel lobby that no one else had because it was quite a small window and me and you had both spotted her coming out looking so glamorous her and I all just, I can think about is her I hair. couldn't I know her hair was amazing and I just was stuck on like repeat and I was going it's Laura Dern it's Laura Dern it's Laura Dern like and <laughs> and again like the other people around us were just like okay it's like it's Laura Dern isn't it funny come on she's cl- look at her so she gave like this little wave my favourite example of clearly noticing what the generation difference was between us and some of the other people there was when Ray Liotta oh my got God, yeah. the cab and went into the hotel and Ray Liotta is appearing in Noah Bumbuck's Marriage Story yeah. and there was a panel on Marriage Story. So he walks past and it, it must be said, Ray Liotta is quite haggard in real life. <gasps> Sorry, it's, mate. He's either... I don't know if he's had surgeries or if he's just aging very badly, but he just doesn't look... Apologies, it wasn't your best. No. You I weren't mean, looking your best, He's a, but he's a, he's okay. a you know, relatively good actor. So I was like, oh, it's Ray Liotta. And then all these, like, younger people were like, who is that? And I was going, like, Ray Liotta from, you know, from Goodfellas. And they were just like... Who? Oh. And then one person turned around and was like, oh, he's in that thing with Jennifer Lopez. I can't remember what that's called. Cultural reference point And I was there. like, wow. Like, I consider, like, Ray Liotta... 
you know, Goodfellas, iconic role. Yeah. Scorsese, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and they're just like, oh, it's that guy who's in the police drama with Jennifer Lopez. Oh my God. So. I just felt about 5,000 years old when that happened. It was so funny. That was a really good cultural reference. Also, when Anna Paquin came out, who was very unexpected, wasn't on the bill, well, wasn't on the bill for the tiny slither of schedule we'd seen. Well, there was no Irishman on we'd the bill. Ba- okay, so we'd basically turned up. Um, at a very specific time, because there were gonna, there was gonna be a very short panel on Little Women and a short panel on the King, obviously. So that was the slither of time in which we had decided to turn up, and um, yeah, Anna pa- Paquin turned up, and a, I just spotted her off the back, which I was quite impressed with. Oh, sorry, you just honestly, I saw from the back of her head, I was like, that is Anna Paquin, and I have no idea why this is my bank of knowledge, no clue, no one had, no one got it, Anna who, and I was like, the girl with the boobs in True Blood. Come I don't on. think any of them all the boobs. Seen True Blood. Don't you remember? She's got a baps out all the time. She's great. I think the thing I said to you afterwards when we were like walking back to go and go back to the hotel before we were going out that evening is that I at one point when you, when we were trying to explain to them who Anna Paquin was, my only the only other thing I could pull into my head was it's the girl from Fly Away Home. Oh yeah. And I, then I would just realised like this is that is so far from most of them will have never seen that film because it came out about in like 1996 and they probably were not weren't even born so. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was, that's pretty much everyone we saw, isn't it? Yeah, so, oh, but there Wait, was someone else. there was someone else. Our friend Greta! I can't believe he met Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig! This is truly, like, it, oh, still, pal. it still feels very surreal. Do you remember that time we met Greta Gerwig on so, Saturday? we were outside and we saw Greta arrive with Noah Baumbach, which in itself, that's a sentence I never thought I would ever say. So exciting. Got I got a really good video, literally like a slither of her hair. And Lovely I was like, hair. can't believe I've seen a slither of Greta Gerwig's hair. What excitement. So um, Greta and Noah went inside and we were like, oh, okay, well, they're in the building. Great, cool. Um, Greta was obviously there for Little Women. Noah was there for um, Marriage Story. Story. They're also, they are partners. A thing. They are a thing. They have a child. They are, you know, I know they're married. I don't know. If they're married Grower. anyway. I'm there obsessed you go. with them both. I've made a, I've made a couple-y name. Uh, so Netta? That we knew no, they, sorry. We knew they were in the building and then we were just waiting outside and then we'd given ourselves a fairly strict cut-off point by which we were going to leave. Yeah, I couldn't hang around. We couldn't be the people that... I was worried that I would end up... Like, where's the ending point, as you'd said at the time? Like, now we're here, like, when do we... Le- we could leave at any time or we could just never leave. So I we needed need a coffee a for about five point. hours. We were, yeah. but, P.S. We weren't there for five hours. We were only there for about two hours. Yeah. Um, it's still quite a long time. Which but. is fine, but we were getting quite hungry and I needed a donut and a coffee. Um, anyway, so, so there were a, a quite a big group of girls that were there for both Timmy. Timmy didn't go because he wasn't very well, but they were also yeah, there spoiler, for... spoiler, didn't turn up. They were there for Saoirse Ronan and also Greta Gerwig. If you haven't noticed the connection between all three of those people, it's clearly Ladybird yeah. and Little Women. So yeah. there we go. And then... <sighs> Greta came out. Like, right behind us as well. It was so well positioned. And I think it was because she noticed there were lots of fans outside that um, were specifically there for her. I have a feeling she actually might have recognised them, some of them from something else because she just randomly came out of the building and then went back in again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'd like... But there was so few people that she actually had access to she basically took three photos and one of them was with us and it was such a funny situation because I sort of bombarded my way there and was like this is happening she took two photos and was like guys I need to go back inside and I was like no please Uh, and then she was like oh yeah cool so went to go and take the photo with her and and realised that you weren't next to me and you were kind of one person away I was just leaving you and I was just pouring at you because I was like I can't have a photo with fucking Greta Gerwig and you're not in it with me that would be awful so i was like tugging you and going april april and then you came over and then i just couldn't get you in the picture i had to do like a whole phone and i realized that actually i'm fucking shit at like mo- like in the moment selfies so i was trying to work out what to do with my phone and she was being very patient with it i was just gonna just say the work. best thing about that situation is that you made greta gerwig wait for me yeah <laughs> And I took like a series of photos and was like, April isn't in these enough, so you need to get in closer. And at that point, I was leaning on Greta Gerwig, which I didn't realise until after I'd taken the photo and we'd been like, thank you, we love you. Um, Like absolute nerds. The photo that came out is such an awful photo of me, but it's absolutely It's hilarious. fine. I think it just fully captures our extreme joy. I have never pulled a face like that in a photo ever. Why did I decide to pull that gormless face I think I just in look, this moment? I look really suspicious in it. I mean, I think 
It goes without saying, really, that Greta Gerwig is someone that means an awful, awful lot to me. So Frances Ha is one of those films that whenever I'm feeling really sad yeah. or just feeling really, really out of sorts and, and, and stuff, I, I watch Frances Ha and that's yeah. the thing that like just makes me feel better. And there was something just very, very, very surreal about even getting to see her in the flesh within a metre radius and then getting a picture with her and getting a picture with her yeah I mean less than a metre radius for me and her and, I'm and very talking sorry, to her and I just so she went back inside and I just cried like we just hugged yeah. we stood there hugging for ages and I was just sobbing and it was just one of those things where it's like that was so bizarre and the best thing about all of this is that on Saturday morning before I left I'd packed and everything and I'd this is such a stupid nerdy thing but like I'd decided that I was going to take one jacket yeah. but then I put I decided like oh actually the weather's meant to be okay today so I'll put on this like white long line denim jacket that I've got and on the uh, left breast of my denim jacket it's got the hi my name the ladybird or call me ladybird like you said you would patch that our friend Kate sent us it was yeah. an official patch that A24 released around the time the of only ladybird. thing we own from their shop yeah right and I that's on my jacket and I decided I was going to wear that jacket this weekend and so that's what I wore. That's what I was wearing. And I just thought like... Do you think that was a sign? I do think it was a sign, you know? You I summoned that into like existence. the stars aligned for us, Steph. It did. It worked out particularly well. I'm really glad we did that. And now, the problem is now that I probably just want to like become a professional stalker. I don't know how anyone does that. I've had the high all... now. I don't know how anyone does it all the time. No, I'm extremely in awe of everyone's dedication. It's very impressive. Um, and I'm glad we got to sample a little bit of it. Yeah, shouts to everyone who does do that for like an extended period of time and is very good at their internet sleuthing. And... You deserve to meet the people that you meet because it's a it's a this it's is a, this is what, a ruthless thing to have to do. Yeah, this is what I was thinking is that there were some girls there that we um, definitely knew had been to the gala premiere of The King and had managed to get on the red carpet and meet Timmy. And like it's their kind of dedication and actually like willingness to kind of just scope everything out, spend all that time. And I think that that's like pretty fucking cool and oh, yeah, I, I don't get why anyone is ever critical of situations like that because oh, no, leave it alone. those girls most of the time will that shit into existence so oh, yeah more power as harry style says they run the world right so that was our kind of day on saturday oh the only other thing that i will mention about saturday is that we walked past edgar wright and how many times did i ask you if we should go and speak to him about 15 yes well, and we just watched him walk all the way up the street and i was in a very leisurely way and i was going april let's go over April, do you want to go over? Should we go April? Should we go no. over? No, it's fine. No. It's fine. It's I fine. couldn't work out whether you were saying no in a slightly bashful way or no in like a do not, like don't you fucking dare do this to me kind of um, way. You know when someone might very seriously yeah. be like, no, I'm serious, don't you dare. I, it was we a bit didn't of both. dare do it. It was a bit of both. And then as soon as it didn't happen, I absolutely regretted it and whinged about it for the remainder of the day. And then we saw, well, you saw him. Yeah, he was stood next to me uh, outside uh, our screening that we went to in the evening when you were in the loo. And I was texting you going, April, Edgar Wright's here again. He's just hanging out over here. I can't believe it. But this. he was with company that time, so I didn't want to disturb him. Otherwise, I would have used that as the moment i'm just really annoyed um, about it i love edgar Wright so much yeah he was just chilling he was and pretty cool also i reckon if we'd actually spoken to him on saturday he he would have been like super chill to talk to yeah him. he was having a real casual stroll i don't think he would have been bothered and i was feeling bolstered by my greta gerwig moment so I know. Uh, we should have captured it we really really should but i'm sure there'll be maybe there'll be another opportunity fingers crossed so um so saturday night yes we went to the uh uk premiere of the lighthouse we did it was screening as the cult gala so that each year mm. within LFF they have kind of different strands of programming and all of the, sort of the films are kind of loosely shuffled into these kind of slightly arbitrary headings. Was this very the cult gala last time? I have a feeling, yeah. Yeah, I think I've basically made you go and see a cult screening like four years in a row. Yeah, but they're good though. It is my favourite category. The cult ones are always the very the interesting ones. ones. The edgy ones. So we went to see The Lighthouse. So The Lighthouse is a kind of black and white horror film directed and produced by Robert Eggers. He wrote it with his brother, Max. It stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Um, the film chronicles the story of two lighthouse keepers as they are faced with solitude but start to lose their sanity and become threatened by their worst nightmares. So it had its premiere, uh, world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in May um, and it's scheduled to be released in a couple of weeks time in the states by a24 um the uk release date for it isn't actually until the 31st of january next year which is an absolute abomination what uh, the fuck it's a slightly side step yeah i mean my point is gonna be sort that it out. a24 are 
a great production company. They're, you know, a distributor that we really, really look out for their movies. Nine times out of ten, if A24 put it out, it's probably something that we're going to enjoy. But it must be said that their UK release dates are abhorrent sometimes. Oh my God, so um, much. When we did our end of year lists last year, you included Eighth Grade because you'd watched it mm-hmm. um, online because it had come out in the States, I think around April, May last year. And then I didn't see it until this year because mm-hmm. it didn't actually get a UK release until this year. This happened for mid-90s as well. We saw it this year in April. Oh, yeah. um, I think it came out in the States September, October last year. So th- there's always a massive disconnect between... And this so goes for a lot of film distribution with sort of the cross-platforming between the US and UK. It's a historic thing, but 84 in particular, I always pick up on. And so yeah. the fact that they aren't releasing the lighthouse here until january was that was just too long it was a too long of a wait and it's something that we've been really 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 anticipating so mm. when we found out and prior to the lff um lineup being announced we kind of had a rough idea post can and then around the time of tiff the type of things that might be screening so when we saw it come up we both really wanted to see the lighthouse didn't we it was when we sort of made our initial short list of what's at lff and what we wanted to try for tickets for the lighthouse was like within the top five because we were so so keen i was absolutely refusing to wait until january so we were really really lucky to get tickets and so our expectations going in on saturday i think were pretty high how are you feeling ahead of the the screening yeah i mean i had it was weird i had high expectations i think i feel about robert Robert eggers the way that others probably feel about like ariaster really like i just think just from that one film just from the witch like He's, you know, one of my favourite directors working at the moment and I was really excited to see what he'd bring out next. So I had really high expectations, you know. I thought that Willem Dafoe and Rob Pattinson, there's no way they wouldn't pull something special off. But I think I also uh, had some slight trepidation that maybe, you know, it could be quite an abstract film. Would it be too abstract? Would it be, because it's about two lighthouse keepers, would it be perhaps deliberately quite dull and monotonous? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, would anything happen at all really in it I wasn't quite knowing what to expect in the way that I remember going into when we watched Twin Peaks The Return and Mm -hmm. it was like this could be like mind-blowing or it could be deliberately quite grueling and I wasn't really sure what to expect from this and its premise so I was kind of hoping that it would be something special but didn't know whether it might be it it ran the risk of being slightly lost on me as well. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think that I was really, really hyped for it, but then also at the back of my mind, I was really worried that I would have done myself a disservice and that actually it would tip over the other way and it wouldn't live up to those expectations. And I'd purposefully been avoiding the majority of reviews yeah i hadn't even read like one liner reviews you know like from the title you can usually gather i pretty much avoided everything because i follow a lot of film people on twitter i'd seen a lot of kind of post film festival tweets about the film which had pretty much fed into my hype for it really because i hadn't actually managed to encounter anyone who didn't enjoy it Mm -hmm. but there have been so many instances in the past where actually that has been meaningless and i've then gone to see something with expectations of it being like the best thing ever and then have been slightly baffled that actually it's not been um as great as everyone's led me to believe but i mean for me anyway i really really liked this yeah so did i i mean i it definitely paid off and i enjoyed i actually enjoyed it more than i thought i would it was more than just like a valuable experience i did really enjoy it And as I was saying, like, I feel like I, yeah, I feel about Robert Eggers the way some people feel like about Ari Aster. And I feel like Robert Eggers has, like, all of the extensive skill, but he also doesn't take himself too seriously as a filmmaker. And you can tell that a film that he has made is very skillfully made, but it's also, you know, they know, you know that they've had fun with it. Yeah. Um, And I very much, I kind of felt like that about The Witch and... I felt like that about The Lighthouse. It's interesting that you yeah. mentioned Ariaster actually, because now... You know, Ariaster just feels like a punisher. Well, like, it's real punishment. They often get paired together quite um, frequently. And funnily enough, one of the pieces of kind of content I'd had banked to consume after we'd seen the film was the A24 podcast oh, yeah. where um, Ariaster and... 
Robert Eggers have mm. a conversation. The 84 podcast series is always really interesting, actually, because they often pair people that have mm. either worked together or they have direct inspiration. So the Ariasta and Robert Eggers one, mm. um, I think, is because they're obviously working within a particular genre and yeah, they're both they're, releasing yeah. their second films this year. There's a lot of parallels there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and it was a really interesting discussion and I completely came away from that with the same opinion that I'd gone in to, which is very much what you've just said, actually, is that Ariasta thinks he's cleverer than he is, which is something we've talked yeah. about at length. But actually, Robert Eggers is someone that kind of has done he the research. He is naturally clever. Yeah, he's done the research. He's got a long history in working in production design. I mean, some things that he was mentioning within the podcast were that he's kind of had a kind of very interesting relationship with like bygone eras mm-hmm. and like esoterica. And it was you can tell so much as he from was that. talking. He was kind of mentioning things that have clearly influenced the witch mm-hmm. and then have clearly influenced the lighthouse he's got you can tell that he's got all of that like in the bank without having to make really direct reference to it all the time in the way that like midsummer would make very obvious references to things i find with robert eggers's films that they feel like less a box ticking easter egg hunting exercise than ariaster's do yeah i think they film a lot more naturally yeah i mean sort of so robert eggers in the podcast actually he says about how he was really aware that the witch sort of does wear its influences on its sleeve but that they, yeah. they that those in particular are probably more obvious than the ones the lighthouse seeks to evoke but when, yeah. I, when he said that i was thinking actually i don't think my experience of watching the witch it was only when i came away and then was then reading about it that i was kind of going like oh i guess that sort of that reminded me a bit yeah of that, like but- i wouldn't i wouldn't say it wears it on its sleeve no. really. i think it's like a period of time and like a i don't know I, the subject matter is something that people are more familiar with to yeah. be honest so that frame of time like witchcraft like religion these are sort of things that people are generally more aware of so yeah. maybe that feels like it's more obvious just because we have a familiarity yeah with it. i just thought that was such an interesting comment because that's like for me as a viewer that's completely not yeah i wouldn't all. say it's, it's i actually think yeah. that you know for none of it was on the nose no not at all so um just going back to mm. um the lighthouse i mean that it's so i don't know if it's worth doing a spoiler warning because i don't really think that i think it's one of those things you have to experience I've, i haven't yeah i haven't jotted anything down that i think is spoilerish um really i don't think so a lot of what i came out with was the impressions that i had of kind of mood the claustrophobia that you get from it in the way that the witch felt very claustrophobic as well actually um and how a lot of that is in the sound design especially that like really horrible foghorn that like permeates the whole thing i feel like you can tell that robert eggers has a background in production design and everything like that because it's so the attention to detail in it is Mm. is just amazing and i think like so much of what i enjoyed about it is the atmosphere yeah and it's it's hard to spoil that actually because it's something you just have to experience in the same way that i think that's true of the witch as well is Mm -hmm. that if you describe it on paper it doesn't sound like it's going to be particularly no. I don't know fraught but no. it's like you have to it's the imagery and the sound it all kind of comes together doesn't it and this film is very much the same you feel very kind of tense from the beginning I think because of that horrible foghorn that begins right from the start yeah. and it's it was more it's really in you know for a premise that is two guys sitting on a piece of rock with a lighthouse you know is an incredibly like absorbing and interesting film someone else described it as like a fever dream and it does yeah. really feel that way and I, I found it more absorbing than I expected actually because I thought that a it could be deliberately monotonous and b we were watching at like 11 o'clock at night or whatever and I could be very tired and would I like nod off but actually it was really really interesting and there was a lot to take in from it yeah definitely I think that kind of that claustrophobic element so the film itself is shot on 35 millimeter mm. and it's got a 191 one aspect ratio so it's basically a square it's like the academy it, w- it felt like we were watching it down the end of like a tube like it was so far away it's like tunnel vision it's really weird it's like looking through a telescope and it wasn't like just a, because it was a huge cinema it wasn't no. huge, although it was a huge cinema but it's a it was a very weird viewing it definitely of, feels extremely purposeful and i feel yeah. like that in, it enhances that kind of the tension yes yeah, it's it really in black does. and white as well yeah it has a very it's beautifully shot obviously black and white and it sort of it enhances that kind of darkness to it literally mm-hmm. and figuratively as yeah, well i was yeah, thinking definitely. actually about how whether i think it would be as impactful if it was in color mm, and i think actually think that would have so. undone so much yeah of what i think it was so. doing it gives you that throwback sense as well and it gives you that sort of weird 
hallucinatory like you could be dream you could be like dreaming in black and white really it's very it's a very odd feeling yeah one um, of the things i picked up on was this kind of conflict between reality and dreaming and mm, what is actually true and what is actually imagined yeah. through their own hysteria of going slightly off piece off into the deep end yeah literally one of the things that was mentioned on the podcast was kind of the influence of ingmar bergman mm-hmm. and then also Ariasta said that when he saw it it reminded him of like a harold pinter play mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know that makes sense it does make sense yeah. because there are the two i mean the film is just the two of them yeah and pretty much most of it is set within like i mean it's a very small location anyway but a lot of it is happening indoors in there i don't know what you'd call it like the which is the the sort of living quarters yeah the living quarters like it's all nearly all of it is confined to like two rooms really isn't it like the dining slash living area and the bedroom like most of it is happening so it's very play-like in there it is it is very play-like it's interesting but you've also got like yeah those very like those play-like shots and those sort of long shots of the men in conversation and then you get these weird contrasts a very sort of short sharp grisly imagery that kind of re- reminded me of the way i think suspiria tried to do something similar like when we watched that last year but it didn't work quite so well mm-hmm. but that was that definitely upped the tension it just really you kind of wonder where these two men stuck together like what it's gonna yeah. culminate what it's gonna build into yeah because it does feel like it's it's sort of building up to something and it is that lingering kind of purveying sense of dread almost yes, it is that i think the entire setup for mm. sort of from an aesthetic point of view the performances the the confines of being in those very sort of limiting spaces it just just seemed to ramp it up i mean i just i don't know about you but it was sort of like simultaneously horrifying at parts but also it's just very funny it was funny in a way i didn't expect you've got these two characters who are you know forced together but are so different from one another and you've got willem dafoe as the like really old school stereotypical salty sea dog like at times quite scary but also very funny Mm -hmm. and silly really like he's kind of a figure to make fun of at the same time and then you've got Rob Pattinson who's this quiet mysterious kind of guy who seems like the quote-unquote same what sane one but you can also tell that he's clearly building to breaking point and you've got this weird contrast between them and it is it is funny in parts um some of it feels like it's deliberately funny and it kind of breaks the tension a little bit it's probably a tension break that we need actually definitely i know i almost think that those elements of comedy sort of lull you into a false sense of security which i quite liked actually because it is this sort of back and forth of feeling like oh god something's going to happen isn't it but i'm Mm. not sure what so i'm just going to have my you know have my guard up and then there is just something that's so preposterous and so ridiculous yeah this like absolute show of like masculinity that's one of the things that's very you've got these two guys both playing really masculine roles of what they think you know what they think it means to be men and it's just it's just stupid in lots of like and some of those moments are just really stupid the film is definitely very concerned with men and, and masculinity and different types of masculinity mm-hmm. and male bodies and it i think it really is an interesting companion piece to the witch in the mm-hmm. sense that that was about the monstrous feminine mm-hmm. and then i think you could definitely say there's a lot in the lighthouse that's almost about the monstrous yeah definitely masculine. yeah definitely it's got that kind of weird contrast hasn't it and, and there's lots in there about morality as well and good versus evil and slightly gothic i suppose yeah and, you've definitely got gothic aspects in there a lot of thinking around isolation and madness and myth and all of these kinds of themes and as you say like monstrous bodies and i also want to give a shout out to the seagull actually um underrated performance. so funny and that's not a spoiler but there is a fantastic seagull and i like that people are praising it as like the black philip of the film so you've got black <laughs> philip and then you've got the seagull it's interesting uh, isn't white it? white philip he can be white philip yeah. the seagull so funny it's, i think it's just funny because i think going into this i didn't necessarily think that it would because on from a basic synopsis point of view it really is so different to the witch but actually it's such a nice companion piece yeah, and i think it it's is. a brilliant follow-up to the work that robert eggers did with his first film mm-hmm. and i think like watching them as a double bill would be such an interesting exercise in the comparison between kind of i don't know representations of women in horror yeah. and representations so of men, men in horror and it's, and it's arguable whether the lighthouse is horror mm-hmm. in in the i think it's definitely got horrific like i would say it's a horror because it's got some really horrific aspects to it 
And those two lead, well, only performances are so strong and are, as you say, like so funny, but so mortifying at the same time. And you don't know together, you don't know whether they're going to like beat the shit out of each other or like start making out at one point. I was just in a constant state of disbelief, I think, throughout is that something would happen. I think like, oh, okay, cool. Reading reading the room on this. I guess I know where it's going. This is the snapping point. Okay, no. Yeah. And they do this like coming together and then pulling apart over and over again it's a very interesting subordinate master relationship between yeah. the two of and them as well and it keeps kind of switching it's yeah it's really really interesting they're both really strong i mean obviously very strong performances our pats is just it's just an absolute weirdo isn't it he's so weird and and that's the thing is when i when i came out of it and when i was thinking about it and i was like firing off some tweets that was the thing that felt really overwhelming to me is that you've got these two actors who are known for doing often quite and they're recently so and doing very weird off the wall mm. performances and so to have them together in the same film mm-hmm. it was just like so deeply satisfying to see those two different generations so great at work and i like the fact that like i think rob pattinson was talking about how intimidated he was by willem defoe to begin with and i wonder if i can imagine people when rob pattinson's older defoe's age people like feeling the same about him being yeah. intimidated i don't think it was an easy shoot either i think oh, that God, they no. either didn't like each other during the filming or because of the conditions of, of filming on an island with a lighthouse yeah. it's cold and wet and Rob was talking a lot about like the really extreme things he put himself through yeah. like throwing up and like pissing himself and just being revolting and like being a real character it's just really getting into the mood yeah there. Uh, I wonder if and it comes across it, yeah he's truly batshit but I can imagine they had fun with it as well oh yeah I mean it's, I think for me this is definitely one of the best things I've seen this year oh yeah it's so and good I, it was I, really great I can't wait to go back and spend more time with it mm-hmm. actually I'm really looking forward to seeing it again when it comes out in January mm-hmm. and kind of maybe having some distance from it and yeah. thinking about it a little bit more because I think there are so many interesting themes within it that you could just unpick yeah you could go Forever. back and study it again i think it would be you'd get so much out of it and also just shout out to the ending i think robert eggers so far has just proven that he's so good at endings like i know some it's people really didn't like the ending of the witch i love the ending of the witch and i really like the ending of this you could just tell all along that the film was going to culminate in something really horrible yeah it, it does and it's just, it's a good payoff. Definitely, definitely is. Um, just a quick piece of Robert Eggers info that I learned from that podcast, not related to The Lighthouse, but The Witch. Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean, you may already know this, but did you know that he had a bit of backlash after The Witch because A24 went mm-hmm. against his wishes um, and they got the Satanic Temple to endorse the film. Right. They were really concerned about how there were no big stars in it and they needed something to sort of gain sure. some press. And they'd said to him, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we got the Satanic Temple involved? And he Did was like, say, like, and he was like no, please don't, because then it's oh, going to no. make it really difficult for me. And he talks about... So, but they went against his wishes and did it anyway. And then he went to Poland, I think it was, to scout for a different film. He was doing some research and stuff and he'd wanted to go to some buildings and things. And he had to really negotiate with the people that owned the building or were going to do a tour because they basically googled him and saw that the satanic temple (laughs) had endorsed his work and they were like we don't want him there he's a satanist so isn't that funny interesting i just thought that was such a weird like let robert eggers do his thing i bet he was just like guys can you not do that it's like really uncool like i don't need the satanic temple that's just a bit cringe it's a bit too much can we not do that and then they did it anyway (laughs) Um, robert eggers who i should note was at the gala premiere with willem dafoe and all of the cast of the witch actually were there as well which was really lovely and they obviously all got a uh a front row ticket which was very nice nice to be in such esteemed company yeah so on to our second review of the weekend um and this one was on sunday at lunchtime it wasn't the gala event sniff sniff it was very very hard to get tickets for that we tried that was a whole other ball game i thought i really i mean in hindsight i walked into those tickets last time this one was mad i wouldn't even go into how grumpy i was with the ticket sellers on the phone ridiculous so the king the king for those who don't know i'm sure we haven't mentioned it a thousand times before uh is a historical drama film based on several plays from william shakespeare's Henriad, as they call it. I'm glad that you also wrote Question that Question mark. Did you look what Henriad is? Mark. 
Is is that literally like, is it just like a triad of Henry plays or something? Um, so the Henry ad is the collective name for Shakespeare's plays which address that particular historical yeah. and monarch period. So it's Henry Is it the, the Richards as well? Yeah, it's Henry the Fourth, okay. parts one and two, and then Henry V... And then also others, so it includes the Richards. Okay, got you. I truly Brilliant. had to like... I just assumed it was the Henry plays. So. It was the first time in... Uh, a long time? Probably about 10 years, which is probably the last time I did any academic-based study of Shakespeare, where I was like, oh, Henryad. Henry is, isn't it? I just thought maybe it was like, oh, are there three Henry plays? I don't know. I thought maybe it was like a triad of Henrys, or maybe there's only two. I was imagining a triangle. Yeah, a triad. So. Like, like a little Henry triangle, but in the shape of a crown. Yeah, so The King is directed by David Michaud. It is Michaud, isn't it? It's Michaud. Michaud. David Michaud. And written by Michaud and Joel Edgerton. Uh, it's produced by Brad Pitt, Diddy Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, alongside Liz Watts under their Plan B Entertainment banner. Talked about Plan B quite a lot recently. Very much on our radars. Sidebar Nation, the idea that Brad Pitt was involved with this is truly heartwarming anyway. Truly, truly wonderful. It is, of course, a Netflix film and it stars... Timothée Chalamet, Timothée. our number one boy, uh, Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, Lily Rose Depp, Robert Pattinson and Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, it had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival on September 2nd this year and it's scheduled to be released on the 11th of October, I think a limited release really, before digital streaming uh, on November 1st by Netflix. Um, we are fairly certain we won't be getting any kind of limited theatrical screenings in our area, so this was a good opportunity for us to see this film on the big screen before it hits Netflix. Just truly wanted to get that big historical Timmy experience under my belt on the big screen. I'm really glad we did, which I think I'll come on to, but I, there was... Despite the fact there was something very surreal about sitting in a cinema and then the Netflix like boom coming Ba-boom. up, it was really like, like this sure. is like being at home. But this I very, very si- uh, yeah, I think it's the first Netflix stuff. Well, obviously it's probably I think the first it is. Netflix thing that I've seen in the theatre. Yeah, it was really funny, wasn't it? And also, it probably goes without saying that this is the sort of film that you and me would usually like pay and travel to go to London Film Festival to see because it is about Prince Hal so it's set in 15th century England Uh, Prince Hal is this sort of wayward wastrel who transforms into a powerful king after he reluctantly inherits the throne and it's many conflicts in the wake of his brother's death so here is the new king of England Uh, Henry must encounter deceit war and treachery as he faces potential war with France For obvious reasons, this was a film that I was going to be hard to be objective about. Do you want to talk a little bit about your expectations going in? Yes. Um, This is categorically not a film that I would ever watch unless there was someone or people of note in it. Have I ever seen a historical drama with you? uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Historical historical, Just, yes. Beautiful historical drama. Um, I think maybe the last time I watched anything that was set in this period was when I watched the... I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. The Russell (laughs) Crowe... Uh, Go on. Robin it's not Robin Hood. Hood. Oh, for God's sake. Uh, Oscar Isaac is in it and plays King Richard, so... Well, does that count as a st- historical film if it's Robin Hood who wasn't really real? I don't know. I don't, I don't really enjoy... I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch anything Did you go is... and see Robin Hood at the cinema? No, I watched it on home in Netflix in bed when I was poorly. <laughs> sure. Clearly. I had a nice time with it because it's not that bad anyway. I don't know. Let's um, send the story for another time. What's the point? I don't tend to watch historical dramas of this kind because it's just not something that I am particularly interested in. So going into this, I was a bit worried that I wouldn't enjoy it or that it wouldn't be very good. I had encountered a few reviews post-Venice mm-hmm. that either said that like the film was not good or... Sniffy reviews. They were all, they were all a bit sniffy, actually, I will they be were. honest. So I think that I'd kind of like managed my expectations in that I knew full well that I was going to have a nice time because of Timmy, but that actually maybe it wouldn't be the best film in the entire world. And I was... That we'd be spending a lot of time defending our like of it. Yeah, and I was actually very, very pleasantly surprised. It does go without saying, and it's hard to say this without bias, but he is so good in it in a way that I really hope that people see it. Yeah, and, and actually... I, I hope people don't aren't sniffy about his performance for the sake of being sniffy, because no. we've got a real habit of doing that, especially on the internet. If anything falls under any consistent praise, we've really got to bash it down a few posts, like... 
the next time it comes around. So I'm really hoping people don't do that because it would be very hard for you to draw criticism about this performance, I think. I think you'd be really stretching. He's He, he really does an exceptional job in it. And in a way that actually, like, I know he's good. Obviously, we know he's mm. good. But I was I was just really blown away by his performance, to be honest, because I think that, like, it's not... It's, it's so different to anything that he's done before in the past. Mm-hmm because it is in this particular time period Mm -hmm. i guess and yeah i mean he's not known for his i mean i was surprised when it was first announced that he was going to be in a historical drama really because it didn't seem like his sort of thing and you get you you can see the contrast between maybe some of the roles that we know him for already and the difference with this role because you get this kind of young vulnerable how that you'd kind of expect Timmy to play at the beginning Um, and this kind of young guy you know he believes he can avoid violence and sort of the corruption of power and then later on you get sort of these glimpses of real like ferociousness and like some really hot-headed moments like that speech before they go into battle and they're things we definitely haven't seen before from him Um, and that was really nice to see I think it showed his range. Yeah I think he's a perfect vessel to to show someone who does go from being like you say very vulnerable to kind of being consumed by power and Mm -hmm. wanting to do the right thing and there's lots of in there about him wanting to kind of prove his father wrong you know his father who didn't consider him to be worthy of the crown and that he how's not bothered by that but when his brother dies Mm -hmm. he's obviously forced thrown in the mix mix. and i think that timmy is someone who actually it was very interesting to see him become someone who is sort of carries the burden yeah. and wants to be this kind of pacifist and, and avoid mm-hmm. war and do the best for his country, but actually mm-hmm. understands that, you know, he's provoked by France. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you see him transform and it was that transformation of someone that's kind of quite emotionally fragile and, yeah. and well, I don't want to say delicate because that sounds really patronising, but just, you know. Yeah, definitely. And it did feel like a bit of a transformation from like roles that he's been sort of known to do in the past and something quite different plus his accent was very convincing i have to say because i also thought bloody hell what is this british accent going to be like and And we also get it was spot on it was very good wasn't it we get him speaking french and it's good supporting cast as well i mean the supporting cast is great i've I've got to say like i'm not really like i wouldn't say i'm a fan of joe edgerton really like he came off better than I expected as Falstaff really he's this sort of confidant and conscience to the king sort of more of an advisor than a clown like in the plays which was kind of an interesting choice and I personally quite liked that I really liked it and I think I said to you when we were talking about it um afterwards I think it's very interesting to think about Joel Edgerton now mm-hmm. inhabiting the type of roles that Russell Crowe I think would have done before so in much. the past so much um, Ro- Joel Edgerton as well just on that is someone who I don't think that I ever actively go and see a film because oh God, it no. has Joel Edgerton in but when I was going through his IMDb I have seen him in so many things yeah, that I've yeah, really yeah. enjoyed yeah. and it's I think that he is a very very good supporting actor yeah he is actually he does he does a lot to kind of lift up whoever's because he was in, in the Boy, front. He was in he? Boy Erased. That yeah. we saw. He was in Boy Erased. Um, was I, he in Warrior uh, with Tom Hardy? Do you remember that? Yes, he was, I think. I think he was. Sorry, just quickly scroll. Yeah, he's in Warrior. Yeah, um, I remember him in that. Again, supporting role. Yep, he's in Great Gatsby. He plays Tom Buchanan in the Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby. Does he? Yeah, which I, I think is hilarious. Um, he's in Midnight Special, which I really enjoyed. Oh my enjoyed. God, I forgot about he's Midnight Special. He's in Loving, Special. which I really enjoyed. Yeah. He's in It Comes at Night which we saw and thought was not too bad. Oh my bad. God, I don't remember that. Yeah, he's like the main guy in that. I really Isn't don't remember. Funny? Yeah. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's the dad and it comes at night. Holy shit. Maybe he was asleep during that film. That's precisely was, my point. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? I think he's pretty good in this, actually. I think if he'd... The thing that I worried about with this film is that I thought it could stray into being quite camp, but not in a good way, just kind of slightly cheesy cringy a bit monty python a little bit monty python i will Um, say that yeah there are a few elements of it yes i mean but i thought they were i felt like they were deliberate they were deliberate and they were well executed i think yes and you are referring specifically to my boyfriend and yours robert pattinson (laughs) hello i am french hello i am from france please can we speak english i think it is a stupid language small and stupid small and stupid hello hello 
Um, Robert Pattinson is in this and plays the um, Dauphin of France, who I keep wanting to call... I am silly and French. I am silly and French. Um, Who Hal, prior to the Battle of Agincourt, and he sort of provokes Hal into war, essentially, despite the fact that his father, the king, doesn't want to go to war with England. And I have read an interview since with the, the director who said that he basically just let Robert Pattinson do what he wanted. I mean, that's what you... I feel like that's kind of what happened with both of these films and he does this accent which genuinely does sound like someone doing a comedy french accent yeah and you know you can just tell it's deliberate so you can't even say it's bad because it's so deliberately ridiculous and the thing is i was anticipating this because i had seen a few things online in the few days between the the gala premiere where people we know had seen it and then that, that seemed to be the main takeaway and they were like oh my were, god uh... robert pattinson's accent like robert pattinson generally so when he appeared finally i was like right, and the whole, the whole theater like the whole cinema died absolutely died when he opened his mouth it was so funny he doesn't have many lines in the film but when he delivers them it is like oscar worthy level of self-awareness he's ridiculous what a ridiculous human he's so wild it ended up being a weekend of robert pattinson it really did and that was unintentionally but it was quite lovely i did enjoy it very much it Um, was great but i think i agree with you in a lot of ways that this film it was better than my expectations and i was more invested in it than i thought i would be although how much of this is the casting is probably quite a big question mark I did think that it probably doesn't need to be as long as it is. It is two yeah. twenty three or twenty four? I, I didn't find it too long. Like I didn't, but I think I was very engrossed. I think the pacing of it is fine, mm. but I think I said to you as we left, I'm really glad that we saw that in the cinema because mm-hmm. I think if I'd watched it at home, you would have been checking your phone. I just quite would have been lot. checking my phone, and it would have taken me probably three and a half hours to watch it because I would have been it. a bit like. This There's a lot about bit... kind of a lot of focus on kind of battle strategy, yeah. strategy and decision making which sort of slows the pace down quite a lot and i think if anyone was expecting or wondering a more action-packed henry adaption i mean there's a very good battle scene which is very grisly the battle very, of agincourt i believe yes muddy yes that's the one muddy disgusting bodies on bodies it's very unrelenting it's really like, it's a really good scene but that's pretty much all you're gonna get from that kind yeah. of thing in the film so if you're expecting something a bit more fraught it was quite gruesome in parts as well it was pretty grim very bloody just a couple of added notes for me i think i would have quite like to have seen a bit more of Ben Mendelsohn although I do understand why that wasn't possible for obvious dying reasons but he was he was good I always he was quite to see more of Ben Mendelsohn that, I can yes that performance is so campy it was that was the other really campy performance actually He's, wasn't it it was totally wild it's so I didn't I think so I expected funny. him to be in it for longer than he was which is a slight disappointment for me personally it would have been nicer to have more of him but I understand it's for just such a joy to watch sort of plot reasons why he wouldn't oh, be around for much longer what? But yes, he was a real joy to watch and it was nice to see him from the beginning. On the flip side, it was interesting that there wasn't as much of Lily Rose Depp as I expected. I thought she would have more of a presence, but she really is only in a small fragment of kind of the end of the film, isn't it's she? It's literally the last 20 minutes. It's really interesting. Like as a as a character, you've got to kind of respect... I mean, she's pretty much one of the only women in the film. It's like her and one other woman who runs a tavern. There is very the women are very thin on the ground in this film and you kind of have to respect that the way that her character stands up to henry but yeah there's far given that she's in the press run a lot we were sort of discussing afterwards it mm. was it was surprising how little she was in the film i thought she would have entered a lot sooner yeah it's interesting but i suppose comparatively like you've just said her and ben Mendelssohn probably get about the same amount of screen time yeah they probably do but they're both being wheeled out and i do a lot with yeah. her specifically i wonder if it's the kind of parental connection yeah the fact i think they're dating i don't know i i'm, I'm slightly skeptical about actually how much it's being billed as her being in it because really she isn't yeah and she doesn't i mean obviously she's kind of i would regard her as an emerging actress Mm. i know she's been in things but she's not she's known for modeling primarily yeah she's known primarily for modeling so i don't think she's sort of established in sort of movie making and the way that yeah you would wheel her out to that extent Mm. as a prime star there's a lot 
there's a lot in there as you say to do with kind of maybe her parents and things like that so that was quite interesting but the critics are coming in really heavy on this now off the back of LFF I've noticed in the past couple of days they're really quite heavily negative which I think is is unwarranted to be honest I can kind of I can see that maybe people find it a bit boring I think I think the problem is you and I are both very invested in the casting for this and that carries it very well so that I found it I was far more invested in this and interested than I would be if it was a bunch of people that I wasn't interested in yeah I do wonder if if the lead role if Hal had been played by anyone else I I, I mean I for one I would not have been going to see that London Film Festival no I probably would have watched it on Netflix if I if it if it literally was a swap of Timmy Mm -hmm. for someone else but I definitely wouldn't I don't think I would have enjoyed it or has been as invested invested in it if it wasn't for his performance to be honest yeah. Joel Edgerton was good Robert mm-hmm. Patterson when he turns up is good the the way that it looks sort of aesthetically the kind of visuals the battle scenes you know all of that period stuff mm. is very well executed I think yeah. but I think if it wasn't Timothy Chalamet in the lead role I struggle to believe that I yeah. would have enjoyed it as much as I did. And but but I think to be honest, he he does carry the film. He does. I'd be interested to see A, I'd be quite interested to see Wes's opinion on this when he sees it, because as someone who does watch this type of film and is very invested in watching, you know, historical dramas, anything like that, I'd be interested to see if he thought this stood up to a lot of other good films that are similar to this yeah and also it'd be interesting for to for anyone who's not invested in timothy chalamet to i'd be interested to know if they found him as captivating and if they found that he carried the film as well like if his performance was engrossing enough for them i would be interested to know that um i don't really pay attention to the critics as much to be honest because there is a lot of snobbery i think there's a lot around it being a netflix film anyway Mm. it's interesting that netflix are billing it as a blockbuster because blockbuster doesn't seem like the right term no and i think it's really interesting actually um just going back to the sort of discussion we were having about the deadline contenders of the films that were panelled at that particular event i remember looking at the list and i think i've just forgotten the fact that three major films that are coming out within the next month or so are netflix so you've got which the is, king yeah. you've got marriage story mm. noah bumbuck's sort of semi-autobiographical film starring adam driver and scarlett johansson mm-hmm. which i think comes out at the start of december it's shown at various film festivals and mm-hmm. is getting really critical acclaim mm. particularly for adam driver's performance and laura mm. dern's supporting performance and then you've also got the new martin scorsese oh, of which the irishman my god and that's a Which Netflix is a huge film. Yeah, and like, it's really I find Netflix. it very interesting that people are still quite sniffy about Netflix releases when actually they there's Those there's, three films are no small feat. Like no. that is a big deal. And you've got an entire spectrum of Netflix filmmaking. And yeah, there are some absolute duds on there or stuff that you're like, oh, I, I guess I'll watch it because it's on Netflix. But actually if they're getting into like the major big leagues mm-hmm. with sort of like Oscar worthy I mean, mm. obviously last year we saw with Roma there was a huge kickback about people getting Mm. irate about the fact that like this is an Alphonse Cuaron film which should be seen in a cinema but a lot of people are going to see on Netflix I personally saw that as a positive because you'll get the likelihood of you getting that film into the homes of people who otherwise wouldn't bother it's not it's huge there are definitely positives and negatives 100 Um, and again it's it's interesting we talked about kind of high and low culture last episode i feel like there is a bit of that like people's justification for why they don't approve of this netflix thing is going to be down to kind of perceptions around like something having a cinematic release because it's of high culture and something appearing on a tv subscription channel being low culture yeah there's going to be a lot of that absolutely i mean i'm not saying that the king is like oscar worthy but also i think that no i don't think it's going to be a front runner no but i think that a lot of responses to it are perhaps clouded in the fact that it is a streaming service release but i mean i i had a good time i thought i would be very biased towards timothy's performance i thought i would enjoy that a lot but i worried that the rest would be a quite campy and b would have maybe not great performances both of which were wrong so actually i had a a, i enjoyed it i think i was just really worried that i was going to be bored and i wasn't so that's the the crowning glory for me it did make me think a lot about the fact that i did i don't know if you did you do henry v at school 
Um, no, but I did do it at university because I did a whole show. Did you have to watch the Kenneth Branagh? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Not, and oh I gosh. did not watch it. Although, weirdly, I think I have it on DVD and I think... I don't know whether it's Fonz or someone else's. It's someone a, left it to me. It's a very good adaptation. Rousing. I, f- earlier when I was doing some prep for this, I ended up, because one of the things actually going into The King is I wondered if they would do the quite famous Battle of uh, the St. Crispin's Day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. speech that Henry Howe does before mm-hmm. the Battle of Agincourt, but they didn't. But they did an, another rousing speech, which I think it was, was a very rousing was speech. It was very, very good. Some would call it an arousing speech. <laughs> um, but I did watch, I was ended up watching portions of the Kenneth Branagh adaptation. And then, and then weirdly, there was a Tom Hiddleston one no. because he must have done a Henry V. Absolutely Either way, not. it was a great I can kind of see, I can see Tom Hids as looking a bit like Henry. Just my final thoughts on mm-hmm. this were I just think that everyone in life, if they ever get the opportunity, should have to experience watching you watch a Timothy Chalamet film for the first time because. What was that like? I don't, I don't know because I was in my own brain. Um, can I just add, I find it very overwhelming. There's a real. I was just very overwhelming and it was at the end of the weekend and I just I was it's just an overwhelming point for it's me. just the best thing in the entire world is to like sit next to you and watch you watch Timmy it's like I don't know I just can't I said this to Tom when I got home I was like I just wish everyone could do this because it just made me feel so happy was it pure joy it was just your little face I was having a really good time <laughs> and me watching you and there were like two girls that were sat in front of us that you were, were doing exactly, were doing exactly the, same the same thing mirror image it give really, more power to these girls there's a moment yeah. where so there's a lot of there's you know the film doesn't open with how there's some a bit of preamble and then i've got to wait for it i've got to wait for it mate wait for it and then then he appears and you like grabbed my hand <laughs> and gave my hand a squeeze anyone who's been to the cinema with us is just like constant hand holding you, i noticed this on saturday we just sat holding each other's hands i think people must just, just think for two and a half hours i think we would just think we're dating at I this think point disastrously codependent but th- there were two <laughs> girls in front of us during our screening of the king and uh you grabbed my hand and then I noticed that one of them grabbed the other's hand as well. And I was like, well, it's not, this makes me feel so much better. It's not exclusive. But to anyway, us. yeah, a- anyone, if you, hey, friends, if you ever get the chance to see a Timothy Chalamet fr- uh, film with Steph, then take advantage of that because it will just make you feel so much better about everything because it's just a lovely experience. It's just a very pure experience. It's just so for everyone pure. Involved. So pure. But yeah, we had a nice weekend. Yeah, we had a lovely weekend. I was very glad we did it. Uh, the other thing that happened at the weekend is that we got, a, I don't want to say hotel upgrade because that's not what happened, but we had to go and sleep in a, <laughs> different hotel room. The superior suite. For four hours because we couldn't sleep. Yes, stupid. They put us in a room above a 24-hour bar and for some reason it took me until three in the morning to remember that the bar was open 24 hours and that that booming bass music was not going to stop. Probably the worst situation for two people known for not sleeping especially well. My God. And I'd like, I'd drop some medication to calm down. I had like headphones in and it just wasn't working. We went downstairs in our pyjamas looking like, we just looked batshit. And uh, it honestly took them about three seconds to go, yep, yep, yep. Okay, we'll change it for you right now onto the 13th floor. So that was good. And I also did a really impressive skit where I was pretending to be Stephen King at half past three in the morning at my writing desk in the superior suite. (laughs) I can't Um, believe I gave us a suite. (laughs) Truly, this is what happens when I haven't had any sleep. Uh, It was truly um, some uh, A-plus Steph McKenna (laughs) level, like... Please do this now, or I'm likely to like murder you and your entire family. I've got a real. I am honestly ninety five percent a really nice person. I think. I hope, um, or at least a very friendly person. And then there's just a part of me that is like just the absolute devil. Paid off though, so it's fine. Paid off quite nicely. Completely fine. So that was our little adventure to London Film Festival. And we will link to last year's episode if you want to listen to that, where we... um, That was our actual adventure on the red carpet with Timmy. Red carpet adventure. And then if you haven't listened to episode 35, then make sure you do. In it, we talk about Stephen King. We do. Funny you mentioned Stephen King. And we also review Adam. Astra and Hustlers as well as do a bit of uh, Timmy related news and Harry related news as well so make sure you listen back to that um, don't forget you can find us online with Twitter at the thirst soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts by searching the thirst our Instagram handle is at thirst pod our blog is thirstpod.wordpress.com and we're also on Facebook too um, goodbye au revoir